everyone, and welcome back to the Yay for Business podcast with me, Courtney Shaw, for our second episode. In this episode, I'm going to share more of my backstory with you in a way that I want to be immensely valuable to you. So what I'm going to share with you is eight lessons I've learned in eight years of entrepreneurship. Okay, so I thought it would be important for us to like get to know each other a little bit better to share more about my story. And I've talked to a lot of my friends and colleagues and they're always like, oh yeah, you should share more about your backstory. And I always think like, oh, it's so boring. Nobody wants to hear about that. And I think it's because as a messaging and copywriting and packaging and positioning coach and expert, I always want to make sure that the bits and pieces of my story that I share with you are actually useful and valuable to you because one of my pet peeves is when people just share like things that happen to them in these long winding stories that nobody else finds interesting. (laughs) And again, efficiency, really big value for me. So I'm not here to just talk about myself all day long. And so the way that I've decided to share a bit of my story with you is by organizing my story in eight lessons that I've learned in the eight years that I have been in business. And maybe some bonus tips in there. Let's see what happens. And just fair warning for you, these tips and my story, it's not gonna go in order. Like I'm gonna kind of start in order and then it's gonna go in a few different directions. So I apologize in advance, but I'm not a very linear thinker. So I just wanted to make sure that this is as organic as possible. And I just really wanna feel like we're hanging out and having a little bit of a chat. So let's dive right in. So the first lesson that I learned is one that is like actually our core number one value in my business, which is follow the fun, okay? So I'm gonna relate this back to the very origin of my business back when it was called the Rule Breakers Club, and that was when I was living in Paris. So in case you didn't know, I have a French degree, graduated from college in 2009, and I moved to Paris to be a English teaching assistant at an elementary school. Now, I wasn't actually teaching in Paris. I was teaching in a banlieue or a suburb right outside of Paris, and that was like what I did after college in the recession. Couldn't get a job at Target the summer before I left, and I was really trying to figure out when I was in Paris, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I knew I didn't really want to be like a traditional teacher. I didn't get a teaching degree because I couldn't like imagine teaching inside of the confines of like the educational system. I just was like, that is not for me. All the power to those of you who do it. Amazing. Not for me. And so as I was trying to figure this out, I started to really take stock of, you know, what am I even good at? Like, what skills do I have? And at that time, like, I just felt like I'm really not good at anything, right? Like, I have a French degree. We're in a recession. Like, nobody's going to hire me. And I just kept taking all these, like, quizzes and inventories and personality tests to figure out, like, what my personality is. And based on my personality, what job should I have? I just figured, like, a test would tell me. And What ultimately ended up happening, long story short, is I fell into this world of entrepreneurship because I had started a blog when I moved to Paris. Um, You might be able to find it still. It was at eurocourt.blogspot.com. Yes, it was a blogspot blog. 
And I was just documenting like my journey living in France. And in doing that, I kind of fell into the blogging world and I started reading like different blogs, like Zen Habits was one of my favorite blogs. I discovered Murray Forleo and Danielle Laporte. And I just started to learn like, oh my God, there's people who are starting businesses online. Like if I did that, maybe I would never have to get a real job because my biggest fear was having to get a nine to five job. I was like, I just don't know how people can work in a job like that every single day. It feels like it would suck my soul right out of my body. So in doing that, I just really stumbled upon this world and I actually discovered, um, this is a throwback, but I discovered Ash Amberger, who runs a business called The Middle Finger Project. And I have not like looked her up in a while, but I have to give her a huge shout out because she was the person who really showed me like she has so much personality in everything she does. And I started like reading her blog every single day and I loved her voice. I loved that you could just hear her talking in her copy. And she's the one that introduced me to this entire sphere of copywriting. I didn't even know what that was. So I took a couple of her courses, including a copywriting course. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is my thing. So long story short is like when I was in Paris, I realized in order for me to be really fulfilled, I have to follow the fun. And as now I've learned as an Enneagram seven, fun is really like my number one guiding principle. And it's always something that I ask myself when making a decision is, does that sound fun to me? Right. And so I will do that for the rest of my life. I'm not saying that you have to follow the fun, though. I mean, like, why not? That seems like an obvious thing to do to me. But maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe for you, it's about service or it's about your individuality or, um, you know, whatever it is. And you just know that for you, that's like your guiding principle. And I say, like, screw what everyone else is doing. Follow what makes sense to you. All right. So that's lesson number one. Follow the fun, which I learned by moving to Paris after I graduated from college. Okay. the second thing that I learned, my second lesson is to invest in your skills, but don't wait to launch your business or launch your next service or whatever it is until you have some certification, all right? So this is kind of a double-edged sword. I want you to invest in becoming fucking amazing at what you do, but I don't want you to use like I need certification as an excuse for not getting started. Okay. So here's the deal. I'm from Michigan originally, originally. Yeah, that's a word. Um, (laughs) I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I went back to Michigan after I was living in France. Now, I know this is going to sound confusing because I started my business in France, but I actually started my business the second time I was living in France. So I moved to Paris and I had this year abroad and then I moved back to Michigan and then I went back to Paris and then I came back. (laughs) So it's going to sound like the story doesn't line up. I promise you it's just because I'm the kind of person who is changing my mind every single day. Okay, so when I was living back in Michigan, um, I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I had already started this sort of side business, this copywriting stuff, but I wasn't convinced that I could make a career out of it. So I was still sort of like one butt cheek in and one butt cheek out. As my friend Raina Pomeroy says, I was half assing it. And I was also thinking about maybe getting a Ph.D., in positive psychology. I was very invested. I actually went back to school and took some classes to get some psych classes under my belt because I thought that I was going to apply 
to get a PhD in positive psychology. And in that time, I was also taking, uh, like I said, this copywriting course from Ash Amberger. And so this course, taking all these courses, this was a huge deal to me because I grew up in a family where my grandparents on my mom's side are both Ivy League PhD organic chemists. (laughs) I know. It's intense. So my grandma and grandpa met at Columbia University getting their PhDs in organic chemistry. So the importance of like knowledge and education and academics was very ingrained in me from a young age. So I always kind of laugh when people say that I'm a first generation college student. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm like the least educated person in my family, right? So for me, I always had this thing about how like you need to have a degree in order to do something. And so this goes, this is why I'm sharing like the copywriting thing and the psychology thing is I thought, well, I need to get a psych degree if I want to talk to people about happiness. I have to have a degree, like a PhD, not just a degree, a PhD in positive psychology. If I want to be a copywriter, I have to take a course in that. And so the copywriting course was scary for me because I felt like I was making this decision not to go in the direction of getting a PhD in psychology. And I was worried, like, what if I don't like doing copywriting? I was scared, like, once I get into this, I kind of have to decide, like, do I want to do this or not? And I felt like I was putting all my eggs in one basket because I was kind of making this decision. This was a fork in the road for me. Like, do I go and get a PhD or do I go all in on starting my own business? So taking that course, it was like a $200 course, guys. This wasn't like a huge investment for me at the time, though. It was this very symbolic investment because it was the investment where I was deciding I'm going all in on this business and I don't even I'm not even like a trained copywriter yet. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to like it. And what happened, though, is as I'm doing this training and as I'm like, no, I love copywriting, like I'm falling in love with this, like this is me. I allowed myself to start like practicing working with clients on copywriting before I actually finished this program. Now, of course, it was like an online program. It's not like a certification. Copywriting isn't like a regulated field where you have to have a degree. And it's not like I was becoming a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist or something like that. But I still had this ingrained in me of like, I need to have a degree in order to do this. So it was a huge leap for me to just kind of go out there and start practicing working with people, feeling like I was making it up as I went and I was kind of in no man's land. And the truth is like, that's starting a business. You know, back when I was in Paris and I was trying to find like, what's the box that I need to fit myself in? And I need like a personality test to tell me what, you know, career I should have. What I had to learn was that there is no box for you to go in. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to make your own box. And that's scarier, but it's also so much more rewarding. And that's how we create new things, right? That's how we're innovative. That's how we can, you know, be fully self-expressed. So back to the original point, I was honing my skills and I was getting better. And I was not only taking this copywriting course, but I went to the library and I bought books on, or bought books. I went to the library and borrowed books on copywriting. I started actually like hand rewriting other entrepreneurs like copy and websites. I was doing practice clients. I did beta clients. Everything I teach inside of Yay for Clients, if you're new for clients, the whole beta testing process is what I did to hone my copywriting chops and figure out like what kind of clients I wanted to work with. And what that showed me was 
There is no person on a mountaintop who gets to certify that I'm good enough at what I do and now I deserve to get paid for it. What I want you guys to know who feel like, you know, you need the certification or you need that is yes, invest in your skills. But at the same time, you don't get to cross a threshold where somebody tells you suddenly you deserve to make money doing what you do. You deserve to make money doing what you do because you get practice at it. You're able to help clients get results and then you just charge money. That's it. It really is like there's no guardian to this. You know what I mean? And so that's really the second lesson that I want you to take away there. Okay, let's move on to the third lesson. So The third lesson I learned is when I talk about a lot in Yay for Clients, which is don't choke your business for cash, all right? And so what I'm gonna get at here is not making short-term decisions to make quick money that prevent you from making actual real money, like a full-time income in the long-term. And the sort of like time and story in my life for this was after I moved back to Michigan and I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start my business and I started investing in online programs and I was like, okay, I'm going all in. I still needed to make money, all right? And because my business wasn't making enough money yet, I needed to have a bridge job or a a side job that would help me to pay my bills while I was figuring out how to get clients. And this is a huge mistake I see people making, which is not having a source of income while you're building your business. Now, even if you don't need the money, I highly encourage you to consider having a job while you build your business. And the reason is psychological. If you spend too much time like being broke and not having enough money to pay the bills and like freaking out about money and depending on other people for money, that starts to really mess with your mindset and your psychology. There's nothing wrong with like depending on other people or whatever, like totally fine. But if you have the ability to sort of get a side job or a bridge job, I really encourage you to have that because having that cash is actually going to do a lot for your self-esteem and it's going to help you get out of the house and hopefully interact with other people. And I personally really liked my bridge job, which was being a barista at the local coffee shop in my hometown. When I was a barista, I wasn't sitting at the computer. I was moving my body. I was interacting with other people. It was more of a physical job and less of a mental job. And I was also able to like, practice my sales skills, right? I always joke that I was really good at selling this one muffin, this chocolate um, pumpkin chocolate chip muffin. It was actually vegan, which was shocking because it was amazing. And I would just like go on all day to these customers on how much I loved this muffin and why they should buy it because it was so amazing. And people would be like, wow, you should be in sales. And it's like, all I'm doing is genuinely and enthusiastically sharing why I love this muffin. (laughs) And that's really what sales is. And so I I feel like I was able to learn a lot. I was also able to observe. I loved working at this coffee shop and I loved the owner and she's delightful, but I was able to observe some maybe like not so good business practices, not in terms of like being sketchy or anything like that. She was amazing, but she just like, she was the epitome of an entrepreneur who did everything herself and was afraid to hand off responsibilities to other people and didn't really have like SOPs or standard operating procedures for how things were done. So like every barista would like make drinks a different way or make sandwiches a different way. Um, And I talk about that a lot in terms of like why you need to have a consistent way of offering your services. That's a lesson that really was drilled into me in that role as a barista. So a little side lesson there is make sure that your services are consistent every single time that you offer them. Um, And also she was just like exhausted, right? Like I didn't want to be an entrepreneur who was like run down and exhausted all the time. So I learned a lot having that bridge job. I also got that self-esteem of having the money coming in. 
Um, it allowed me to like be busy, be on my feet and have a more of like a balanced lifestyle. And I'm sure you've heard this expression before. Like if you want something done, give it to a busy person, because once someone has momentum and they're getting things done, it's way easier for them to like get one more thing done than it is for someone who's sort of like stalled and is feeling lethargic and like stuck to get started. And so I think it's a way to sort of get your um, engines revving and get yourself going by having some money coming in while you start your business. So I actually had a few side jobs. I was a barista. I was tutoring French. I was um, helping high school students with like their college application essays. Um, What else? I was doing this um, project for Google. Um, I didn't work for Google, but I was doing a kind of like contract job that was for Google that was on the computer from home. And so I just had like a lot of different things going on to make money. And I found that that really helped my self-esteem in starting my business. You don't want to start your business from low self-esteem. Okay, so that's lesson number three. Lesson number four Mm, I love this one, is to see yourself as a business owner and as a business from day one or today, if today's day one or if you haven't yet, right? So working at that coffee shop, as I mentioned, I could see how the owner of a small business can really be a bottleneck. So as I mentioned, there was like inconsistency with the brand, with food. It felt very like thrown together, like the graphic design and stuff was like not well done. It just didn't feel like there was a lot of intention going into the business. And, you know, it's okay. Small town coffee shop. It's charming, whatever. But I just feel like there was so much potential that wasn't being tapped into because the owner was trying to do so many things and had this real lack mentality about the business and wasn't really viewing the business as an entity um, apart from herself. Now, I know I said see yourself as a business, but I would really say see yourself as a business owner and the business as an entity apart from yourself so that you can really like strategize and view it as a game that you can win. So like I said, the owner of this coffee shop was so sweet, but it was obvious that her self-worth was wrapped up in how hard she worked. I'm going to say that again. Self-worth being wrapped up in how hard you work. And so she would work these 16-hour days. And that was like so hard for me to watch because I was like, why would you do this? Like, you don't have to do this. So as a business owner, I want you to ask yourself questions like, what would this business look like scale? Like, what if I had twice as many clients coming in or twice as much revenue coming in? What would it have to look like? What kind of systems would I have to have in place? Who would I have to hire? These are great thought experiments for you to kind of play with. What if, this is a great one, what if I remove myself from all the processes? Again, I'm not saying you have to, but I think you need to think through what would that look like so you can identify some of the gaps and holes and weaknesses in how you're doing things, right? And a lot of the things you think you have to do, you don't. So right now on our team, for example, we are bringing in people to help with marketing and sales. I've been in business for eight years, thinking about this podcast episode, obviously. And I, until this point, kind of had this mindset because I'm the face of the business, I have to do all of marketing and sales. That is total and utter nonsense, but it was sort of this thing that I had convinced myself of. So I want you to know that there's really nothing in your business that you have to do. And there's always a solution if you don't want to do it. So you got to start asking yourself, though, what might it look like? What could it look like? Right. Um, And just play with those questions and journal on them. 
what tasks could I hire someone else to do to get an even bigger ROI? So I want you to think about the fact that like your time is worth a lot as the owner. And there's things in your business that are not in your wheelhouse. They're not in your zone of genius. You're just not good at them, right? And it would be way cheaper for you to pay someone else to do them. So some things in the beginning and early stages of business I think are really important to hand off to someone else are bookkeeping and admin and maybe like tech tasks, like customer service-y kind of things. So those are the things I just don't think you should be doing unless you're really good at books and you love doing it. I still am like, why are you doing it for yourself? You should be focused on sales and marketing and getting clients and let a bookkeeper handle the books. There's no reason you need to be doing that. All right. Last question on this point is where do I see this business going in the future? So instead of kind of being reactive to the day to day and kind of wrapped up in like I'm working hard and that's my self-worth. Where do you want this business to be five, 10 years from now? And you don't have to know. I'm not really like a long-term planner myself, but I do like to dream big and kind of like sit and daydream about, okay, what could this look like five or 10 years from now? All right. So those are the questions I would love you to ask yourself in terms of seeing yourself as owning a business, not being wrapped up and reactive in the day-to-day. Okay. Lesson number five, they're all my favorite. I just sound like a broken record at this point is niche the F down, all right? This lesson is going to be tied to after, (laughs) after I was working at the coffee shop, I finally got to a point where my business was making $2,000 a month And I, um, long story short, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, had immigrated to Canada through Quebec and was living in Montreal. And I started kind of going back and forth living in Montreal and Michigan. So this lesson in niching really comes from my time living in Montreal. So I, like I said at this point, was making $2,000 a month for my business. And to me, as somebody who only ever wanted to make 30K a year, I was like, I'm pretty close, right? Like I thought life was amazing. Suddenly I I was making US dollars, but living in Canada. So that, you know, broke me through the 30K a year Canadian threshold anyway. And I thought that would be amazing, but it wasn't. I was so stressed out. And I felt like I should be happy because I thought, oh, I finally have this business and I can travel and all of that. But I was having to hustle every single month to get clients and honestly panicking about how I was going to pay rent, how I was going to pay my bills, how I was going to afford my next plane ticket, how I was going to buy food. And I was really broke. Like I had to really justify going to a coffee shop and just like, you know, if you've ever been in that point, you know, it is just all you think about. And it's so, so, so stressful. And so it wasn't until I really got to this point where I was like, I can't do this. Like if this is what running a business is, I don't want it. And yeah, I couldn't see how I could make more money. I felt like I can't work twice as hard. I'm already working so hard. How am I going to make more than $2,000 a month? It's not possible. And so it wasn't until I kind of reached this rock bottom of like, I'm willing to try you know, almost anything that I finally did the thing I should have done all along. Okay. So this is the switch that flipped for me is that instead of seeing niching down as limiting and as like a luxury, because I kind of thought like, oh, that's nice. Like people who can niche good for them, but like, it's a luxury for me. I'm a multi-passionate person. We can talk more about that in another episode, but I'm the kind of person who's constantly changing my mind. I am passionate about a million things. I have a million hobbies. I don't want to niche into one thing. I also thought by niching, you're limiting what you do. And so it's great for people who are successful to do that, but I'm not successful enough to be able to afford niching down, which was like the total wrong thought. Like that's totally false, by the way, if you're thinking that right now. And 
the switch that flipped for me was starting to see niching as actually giving me more freedom instead of less freedom. Okay. And niching actually attracting more clients at a higher price point with the no brainer than less clients and having to convince them and having a harder time booking clients. And I didn't believe this guys until I saw the evidence for myself. And what happened was at the time I was writing proposals for basically any client that wanted web copy for their website. So I would write like the about page, services page, home page, probably some emails. I don't even remember, but I would write this custom proposal for every single client. And my proposals were anywhere from like maybe $750 to maybe like $2,000. So I needed a couple clients a month in order to hit that average of $2,000 a month. And that was a lot of work. That's a lot of copy to write. And obviously I was not charging enough, but at the time I was convinced that is it. That's all I can charge for these services. And I finally was like, you know what? A lot of people have been asking me about sales page copy and like, can I look at their sales page copy and tell them what to fix, et cetera. And I'd always be like, no, I don't really do that. And I was really scared of sales page copy, to be honest. And I finally was like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to create this mini service. I'm going to call it sales page CPR. And I'm just going to ask people to send me their sales pages and I'll review them and give them feedback. And it'll be like a hundred bucks. Okay. So I launched this service. I opened just 10 spots and I was like, well, it was just, I had this very like, well, we'll see what happens, you know, um, non-attached and all 10 spots booked out like so fast. I couldn't believe it. Nothing like that had ever happened for me before. And not only did those spots book out, but after I had done the hundred dollar version of CPR for them, at least half of those clients were like, Hey, now can you actually like revamp the copy for me? Like take this feedback you gave me and actually change the copy to match the feedback. And I was like, what? You like want to pay me more money? Like I, I couldn't believe it. So I then you know, beefed up the service to be sales page CPR where you send me your copy and then I revamp the copy. And over the years, it just became like more fine tuned and, you know, the service got better and better. But I was never at a loss for clients with that service ever. I always had clients and often was booking out clients three or even more sometimes months in advance. And so what I want you to know is if you want those kind of results, you've got a niche down. And I know it's scary, And if you do it the right way, though, it's not going to be as scary because you're going to know before you launch the thing that that's what people want. It's not like a stab in the dark. So we'll talk about more of that if you want to join us in Yay for Clients. But the lesson here is you got to niche the F down. Like there's no excuses here and there's no um, there's no like times when this does not apply. So in every business, we've got a niche down if you want more clients. So that's lesson number five. Okay, lesson number six. Let's keep this moving along is I already touched on this a little bit. But we're kind of going back to when I was in Michigan, kind of thinking about becoming a psychology student and getting a PhD. And that is that you need to create your own box. Okay. So when I decided not to get a PhD in positive psychology, that was the moment I realized that I had to stop looking for a box to fit in. I needed to create my own box. And obviously that's much harder. And school does not prepare us for that. School is literally a process of like, do this, do that, come over here, come over here. And you kind of think at the end of it, you're going to be ready to go and just like, you know, plop you into a job and you're going to fit perfectly and just keep following the rules. And this is really where the, you know, genesis of the Rule Breakers Club came from. And what I realized, and I was talking to this um, 
Harvard PhD professor that I went and talked to to talk about like, you know, should I do a PhD? And she said, Courtney, like you have so much personality in your writing. And the first thing we're going to do in ad school is we're going to eradicate all that personality from your writing again. And I was like, nope, I can't do that. And she said, I think you need to find your own path. Like, I don't think you're looking for a path that's already carved out. And that was such an aha for me. And so I want to share with you guys that a lot of you might be looking for a path, like someone's already done it. Like, who's another person in my industry who's already offering services like this? And what I want to tell you, and this is really what Yay for Clients is all about, is it's not about what's already like existing. What already exists often has a lot of problems and everyone's just copying each other and offering the same services. What I want you to do, and if you go back to the first episode and listen to the rainbow of sales, is listen to what your audience really wants and just create it for them. That's it, really. I mean, in the most simple terms. So you need to create your own box, your own package, your own niche. You don't need to follow what anyone else is doing. Okay, lesson number seven. So now we're gonna get to the point where like I was in Montreal for five years and then my, uh, I guess then boyfriend still at the time, (laughs) we were dated for eight years before we got engaged. We decided one day to just up and move to um, Vancouver. So literally one night I was just fed up and I was like, I don't wanna live in Montreal anymore. And the next day I told Momo, my husband, I was like, I have to leave. I was like, I hope you come with me, but I have to leave. I, I, I can't live here anymore. And he goes, all right, how about Vancouver? And then we ended up moving to Vancouver, sight unseen, six months later, or not even, uh, five months later. (laughs) So that's just kind of how I do things. So the lesson here, number seven, like as it relates to Vancouver, is the difference between towards goals and away goals. And at this point in my life, in my business, I had to stop having away goals and I had to start having towards goals. So let me illustrate what I mean by that. The first several years of my business, I was motivated to get away from pain, okay? I wanted to get away from having to live in Michigan. I wanted to get away from having to get a nine-to-five job. I wanted to get away from being broke. That was my main motivation until I hit six figures in my business, was like, I want six figures because then I won't feel stressed about money all the time. It was really like the core motivating factor for me. And then when we moved to Vancouver in 2017, We have like plenty of money and I lost steam in my business. I just wasn't motivated anymore. Um, I didn't really work for like three months and I wasn't excited. And, you know, because I wasn't motivated by like not being broke and getting out of debt anymore, I just like didn't know why I even cared anymore. I've never been the kind of person who's just like obsessed with goals and ambition. I more just like want to enjoy my life and have fun and do fun things. Right. Um, And so. I plateaued in my business for like three years, like, I mean, maybe two years, but two, two, two and a half years. And I was just like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I get excited about this? And what I realized was I didn't have anything that I needed to get away from anymore. I needed to create a goal to go towards, not something painful to run away from. And so this is something I've really, I mean, like even to this day have to train myself about is like, I don't want to just be motivated to make money because I need money. I want to be motivated because I'm excited about what I'm creating. Okay. So my question for myself is this, what am I obsessed with creating in my own life? Like what sounds just so cool. It's not even about like, what's the right thing to say? Like, I want to have an impact and I want to help people. Like, yes, I love all that stuff. At the end of the day though, sometimes it's like, I just want to like fly first class to Paris. Like, okay, go make some money and do that. Right. If it motivates you, 
do it. Okay. So I just ask myself, what am I obsessed with creating in my own life? It doesn't have to be outlandish or fancy. It can be, it should be specific, but really it just needs to be genuine. You know, I honestly just want a cozy life and I want like a charming home and I want to have a strong sense of community where I live. I want to be able to up and travel on a moment's notice. I want to be able to like chill in the mornings. I don't want to be stressed out about work. Um, And I really like one thing that's important to me is like I want to create a local team. And so the reason I share that is because obviously as a location independent entrepreneur, that was a huge shift for me being like, I have this virtual team just saying, oh, I really want a local team. So we've actually been creating that in 2020. Ironically, everyone's local, but we've never actually met in person because of the pandemic. But, (laughs) you know, one step at a time. And in realizing that, I... um see how wonderful it feels and how motivated I am by the idea of like paying someone else's salary and like supporting someone else's livelihood. Like that is super exciting to me. And so that's something I feel like I'm working towards. So I want you to play with this idea of, you know, am I at the end of the day and really be honest with yourself, motivated by running away from something or going towards something. And it's totally okay if it's a mix of both. I think humans are naturally motivated by avoiding pain. That's just how we're wired. But the more that you can consciously sort of focus on what you're creating, the more you'll um, kind of reduce those dramatic ups and downs that you experience because those dramatic ups and downs will happen because you'll run away from something and then you get away from it. So you're not motivated by it anymore. And then you sort of like fall back down and then you have to run away from it again. So this will happen with debt, right? You get out of debt and then you're really excited and then you don't have the debt to like motivate you to save money anymore. So then you get back into debt and then you do it all over again. Been there, done that. So we want to make sure that we are creating a bigger vision for ourselves. Okay. Lesson number seven. Uh, Oh, that was number seven. Excuse me. Lesson number eight is, and now I'm going to kind of go back in time, this one's out of order, um, is uncover your money stories, okay? So I want to take this back to 2014. I was living in Montreal at the time, and I had invested in a mastermind, which was really scary for me, um, to, it was about $500 a month, and we had this retreat in Bali towards the end of our time in this mastermind. And it was when I was in Bali, I had this realization that I had this really powerful story that was keeping me from growing my business. So um, this story is going to kind of give you a lot more context to who I am and, you know, where I come from and what motivates me, which is that, you know, when I was 18 years old, my stepdad, who I had lived with in you know middle school and high school, died of um, heart disease. And it was super, super traumatizing for me because the day that um, he had his heart attack, I was with him that morning. I had woken up that morning. I had this sense like something's off today. I just I remember having that thought, which I just thought was so weird. And I, you know, went in the kitchen. I made coffee. I was reading the newspaper. And I remember I went back into my room and I heard this thud. And I don't want to get into the whole story. I wasn't like planning on getting into the details, but I heard this thud. And I had this thought, which was, you know, whenever I like bang my elbow in the shower or like drop a book or anything, my stepdad would always come running and be like, hey, Court, are you okay?" And I thought, you know what? I need to do that because he would do it for me. I went to the kitchen. I saw him like the refrigerator door was just like wide open and I saw him laying on the ground and he was this like 
strong, athletic guy. And he was in his early 50s. And I freaked out and I knew what was happening because he'd had a heart attack about six or eight months earlier. And I called 911. So long story short, very traumatizing for the next like several days, almost a week, I think. Um, he was actually on life support in the hospital. And at the end, uh, oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, at the end, we actually had to go in and pull the plug. And so this is what I experienced when I was 18. And it absolutely changed the trajectory of my life for so many good reasons. It made me wake up and like kind of take life by the reins and decide like I was going to do what I wanted to do with my life. Um, but it also created this really weird money story. So um, two years after my stepdad died, uh, my uncle was killed by a drunk driver. And uh, that story is like really crazy, but I'm not going to get into it today. And then um, six months after that, my grandma died. And three months after that, my grandpa died. And so in like a two and a half year, three year period, I lost four really close family members. And I was at a very sort of tender age between 18 and 21. And I didn't realize how much that impacted me until I was on the strip to Bali in 2014, you know, eight, six, eight years later after. And I realized that um, before I went to Bali, I was convinced, and I even told my mom this, I was convinced that I was like going to die in a plane crash on the way there. I was like, I was like certain of it. I'm going to die in a plane crash. And what I realized was I had this story that like something this good, like going to Bali can't happen unless somebody dies. Okay. So I thought I was going to die or like someone else was going to die, like my mom or someone else. And I realized this came from this correlation my brain had created was every time I lost a family member, my stepdad, my uncle, uh, my grandma, my grandpa, I made a decision to do something with my life. So I sort of like decided that I was going to use their death as like I was going to make sure that I did something good with it. Right. Like I was going to make their death meaningful. And so, you know, my uncle was killed and I decided to become a writing consultant, which was like the most prestigious student job on campus. And I got the job. And then I decided to move to France when my grandpa. I mean, it was just like this nonstop, like somebody dies, I make a big life decision. Somebody dies, I make a big life decision. And so going to Bali to me was this huge thing that I was like, in order for me to go to Bali, like somebody has to die. It's just crazy, right? Like, that makes no sense. There's no logic there, but it was an association that I had in my brain. And so what I want to acknowledge is that I think we all have these stories and these money stories of like, I can't grow my business because X will happen. Or, you know, if I'm going to become rich, that means I'm a bad person because I, you know, growing up was told this story. Or I had this, you know, person in my family who was wealthy, who was, you know, not very nice. And so, when you push the limits of your current reality, right, you start to uncover some deep stories you have. You feel this resistance. So if you're ever trying to do something amazing with your life and you feel this weird resistance to it, it's because your brain is like, you're going to die, right? Like something terrible is going to happen because this is outside of our norm of the map of reality that we have. Um, and it can be excruciatingly uncomfortable. Now, I know this isn't necessarily specific about money stories, but I say money because I feel like this is something that will hold you back from growing your business, getting as many clients you want, and, and ultimately making as much money as you want. Now, I could talk about this part all day and the story stuff, and we totally can another episode, but what I want you to take away from that story is this. 
The experiences you've had in your past do not need to dictate your future. And even if you've gotten positive lessons from those experiences, they might have a double-edged sword effect, right? There might be a negative side to that story. And by negative, I just mean like a shadow side, something that maybe isn't serving you to get the result that you want. And that if you want to have a life and business beyond your wildest dreams, you're going to be pushing the envelope. And if you don't feel uncomfortable, you're probably not stepping outside of your comfort zone, right? Because that's the definition of your comfort zone. So I encourage you to take those actions, take those big actions and, you know, invest in programs and coaching and things like that that will force you outside of your comfort zone because you're not going to want to do these things on your own. (laughs) You're going to avoid it like with every ounce of energy that you have. So that's it. That's sort of like, I want to tie a bow on these eight core lessons that I have from eight years of business. Obviously, there's so many more things I could say here, but let me just give a quick summary. So number one was follow the fun. Number two was invest in your skills, but don't wait for certification to begin. Number three was don't choke your business for cash. Don't make short-term decisions that are going to cost you long-term money. Number three, or sorry, number four is see yourself as a business owner from day one. Number five is niche, the F down. Number six is create your own box. Number seven is have towards goals, not away goals. And number eight is uncover your money stories, whatever might be holding you back from the next level that comes from your past. Thank you so much for listening to this. I hope this was interesting for you. Kind of having this moment where I'm like, was that even helpful? But I really wanted to make sure that, you know, you get to know a little bit more about me. You can maybe see yourself and some of the things I shared. You can understand sort of, you know, who I am a little bit better, but also that those pieces of my story can help you to, you know, take away some valuable lessons. So if you're listening to this podcast episode, please go ahead and, you know, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, tag me, let me know what your takeaways are, and I'll see you in the next episode. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you love today's content and are ready to finally start making a full-time income from your business this year, make sure to get on the wait list for my program, Yay for Clients, over at yayforclients.com, and you'll be notified the next time enrollment is open. Or if you're already booked with clients and you want to learn how you can turn your signature service into a signature program and add 100K of revenue to your bottom line, come apply to my group coaching program, Yay for 100K, over at CourtneyShaw.com forward slash apply. Thanks again and have an awesome day.